Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinter.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? Podcast exploring the leadership experience. It's a sunny day in Portland, and uh, I'm very excited about this episode. A, it's the 10th episode. And when I started this podcast, I would have never dreamt uh, that I would be at this milestone of producing 10 um, podcasts. So, and I have a very special guest. I am thrilled to introduce and welcome to the show. Larry Plotnick, he is the president of Big Fish Games and uh, someone that I consider a friend and somebody I enjoyed the hell out of working with. So, Larry, welcome to the show. Thrilled to be here, Tim. That's awesome. You know, I saw, I thought about it uh, the other day. I was thinking about you and I thought, you know what? I, I don't know. I think it was School of Rock when I was going for a job at School of Rock and they wanted like, you know, a previous supervisor or something like that. And I think I reached uh-huh. out to you. And you were like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I was just like, <laughs> I hadn't talked to you for a, you know, for a long time. And you're yeah, like, but, yeah, sure, Tim, I'll do it. You know, I think at the end of the day, Tim, first off, friends can be friends and not see each other for very long periods of time and pick up right where they left off. And, uh, and I've always believed that. And, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But, um, you know, the thing you enjoy in your career is all these great people you meet, right? And so you get an opportunity to help. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I love. It's always awkward though, right? When that when they come up because you have your set people, but then they want something specific, like yeah, yeah, right. And then you got to kind of dig into your past and and I will anyway. I don't know if I ever said thank you, but thank you for doing that. Well, you're because I got the job. So well, that's good. That's right. good. See, it all worked. I said nice things. Yeah. So I think. so yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> There, here you are. You're the, the the president of Big Fish Games. Tell me about it. What? I, I, I first off, I love your website. Oh, um, thank you. I mean, it. You talk about branding and just being true to your brand, and it just. I mean, I get the company by looking at your website, and isn't that always the challenge? Yeah, it is. You know, it's interesting. So to give you a little quick history, so Big Fish has been around for 22 years. Um, but, you know, started as a uh, casual PC game subscription business, um, you know, 20 some odd years ago. And um, when I joined them last year, they were in they were making a shift into mobile gaming, free to play mobile gaming. But they hadn't really sort of reinvented themselves. Right. And, and not to the public eye, not to the consumer or anybody else. And so we, we spent a lot of time you know, when I joined thinking about what does the brand mean? What does it mean to be big fish? And what does the culture we want? And how do we want to present ourselves to the world? And, you know, what do we mean to customers, all those kinds of things. And so we, you know, we, we totally rebuilt the, the website last year. We're working on a lot of new games, which I, you know, I'm just so excited to be involved with because it's fun to make entertainment. Um, and we do it in a way that I think is um, with in a, in a culture and an approach that I'm just, I'm really proud of. It's just exciting to be here. Wow. And you now give me a little bit of history. So you were at Amazon. Yeah. So I'll give you it. Yeah. So, you know, I got involved in video games at at Hollywood back in the day, right? Like back in 2002. And and that got me started in the video game industry. And I I just fell in love with it. Um, You know, like it was on the Hollywood video side, 
you found so many easy ways to connect with your customers, right? If you're selling insurance products, I mean, it's important, but I can't connect to that. I don't know how to connect to the customer. But in video games, people are so passionate about it, right? Just like they were passionate about movies back in the day and a customer would come in and you could talk about Shawshank Redemption for hours with them, right? Right. Um, and it's that way in gaming every day. So I just, I fell in love with the gaming industry. I eventually ended up at Amazon 11 and a half years ago um, or 12 and a half years ago. I spent 11 and a half years there. Um, and I was, I think, higher number seven or eight in the in their games business. You know, this was a long time ago. And, you know, our job was go figure out what Amazon should be in gaming. Right. Um, and we built a physical games business and a digital games business and game services and game studios. And we acquired Twitch and we built Prime Gaming. We did all these things. And, you know, when I left, it was, you know, almost 4000 people in that organization. And so, you know, it was just it was just it was a tremendous amount of fun and I'm very proud of the work we did there. And then about a year and a half ago, I just decided, you know, I wanted to go back to, you know, more of an entrepreneurial small team, you know, to grow kind of culture, uh, but only in the games industry, obviously. And, and, uh, and you know, Big Fish is based right here in Seattle. And, and I had the opportunity to interview. They were looking for a president of the company. And um, it just it, it was it was just really fortunate, quite frankly, because I don't know what I would have done. Um, but, uh, you know, to have an opportunity like that right here in my back door um, with, a, with a company that it's, it's got great history, but tremendous upside opportunity. Um, and so, you know, sometimes better to be uh, lucky than good. Uh, and so I consider myself a little bit lucky, but, um, but it's been a great ride. I'm really enjoying it. Well, I'm sure I can speak for them. I'm sure they feel very lucky. Uh, you know, I know what if you know you, you are one of these people who can go in and make fundamental changes and organizations and you know i i remember watching you i remember i remember being on the video side of hollywood and going into the game game crazy side or going and, and the, the culture was i mean it was all the way down to the part-time person yeah. and that you were able to create that what i always thought was amazing is they always felt special yeah, you know, it's interesting. I agree. First off, thank you. And I agree with you. And you're like, I didn't do that by myself. Yeah. I had a lot of great people. Um, you know, I, I, but I was very proud of that culture, right? Uh, it was something that we we said from the very beginning is, you know, we're going to focus more on a cultural fit than quality. Um, and I hate to say that because we had so many quality people. But, uh, you know, sometimes um, great is the enemy of good. Um, yeah. And I believe in hiring good with good culture fit more important than I believe in hiring great. Um, it, it's definitely been a, you know, leadership quality uh, or leadership focus, I guess I would call it all throughout my career, because I think culture fit matters. And so when you set a good culture, then you make sure every hire that you make is understands that culture and is a fit for that culture. And you don't, you don't allow yourself to sort of break from that. Even if it's a great quality candidate, you just say, mm, not quite right for the culture and you got to pass. That's what creates that, right? And then you talk about it a lot and you live the culture. And, you know, I can remember, and I, I think you were the same, Tim. And I go in and visit stores, you know, yeah, you, you, you're focused on those people, right, at that moment. And a big part of that focus has to be setting the tone of the culture. You have to live it, right? Um, and I saw that on the video side. And I think we tried to live that in the game side to the point I had to go learn a lot of different games that I wouldn't normally play because when I went into the store and we were gaming culture, I got to play video games with every single you know employee at that store, and I didn't want to embarrass myself, right? So I got really good at a couple of games, and um, and so I could play, and we could have fun together, and 
And that was such a big part of building that culture is we're a gaming company all about the games and all about the customers who love games like we do. And um, and that's just always stuck with me. It, it was just um, it was a fantastic experience. It really, really was. I'm real proud of that. I knew it when and I don't know if you'll remember this, but we were in L.A. together. You had, I believe, taken over the, the reins of the whole company at that point, or at least operations for Game Crazy and Hollywood. You were on the video side. And we were looking at something. And I remember, I don't know if you'll remember this, but we were in the meeting and you had all the zone vice presidents and you had a, you had a motley crew at that, at that point in the company. <laughs> yeah. And, and everybody went right to going tactical, you know, they're, they're, they, they were just wired that way. They were all operators. Right. So they immediately yeah. wanted to, to hit. And I remember pausing and saying, can I just, before we jump into that, can I just, um, maybe ask that we as a group re, uh, remember our please and thank yous as kind of a baseline. I, I do remember that. And you were I like, and you that. jumped on it. Like it was like you, you support it. And I didn't know at the time, right. Cause you and I just started working together and I didn't know. And, and you, and then I knew that there was this alignment around because I don't know if you remember, but it was a little, you know, there was a little bit of uh, infighting and it was, you know, a little bit of one upsmanship going on. And it just, we just needed to remember to say, cause the personalities were also different. Yeah. And yeah. And that was a weird time in that business at, at that time and was going through a lot of change. And I remember that In fact, Tim, I remember a meeting that we had, I think you were just coming back from vacation or something. It was very early on. And at the time I, I moved over to the video side and we talked about who we wanted to be as a leadership team. And there were three words that we, we agreed on. It was care, trust, and respect. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And, and to this day that sticks with me, I talk about that all the time. It's so funny, but you know, cause those three words, you could apply to every situation, whether it's at work or at home, right? In, in your personal life is, do I truly care about, am I showing that I care about the individual um, or the team member or the business? Um, and, do, and, and are I, am I being a person who can be cared for? Um, do I trust others? Can they trust me? And, and do I, am I truly showing respect? And I, I just, I find that it's so interesting, but you know, it's, God, that was probably what, 18 years ago. Right. Uh, and yet um, when we sat down and started talking about um, the brand statement and culture that we wanted to build at, at Big Fish, you know, a year and a half ago when I joined, those are the three words I started with. And, um, and so that's just never left me. Yeah. I, I remember that meeting and, and I do. And we, oh my gosh. It was a lot of post-it notes uh, to get down to care, trust, and respect. Yeah, it was. I'm sure we used up a few reams of uh, yellow <laughs> post-its. Yeah. But, but, you know, when you think about it, you know, it is it. Like, and you you mirrored this. And I, I remember Larry Painter asked me one time, I never carried my cell phone into stores. And Larry Painter asked me one time, he said, Tim, I rest his soul. I said, um, he said, uh, you know, why don't you carry your phone in? I said, well, Larry. Uh, you know, I only have a chance, one chance to, um, to be in this store and I probably won't be in Lot, Oklahoma yeah. again. And so if I take a phone call, um, it's probably gonna, you know, it's, it, a, it's kind of disrespectful to the team who all assembled to come see me. And, uh, you know, I can, I can give this store 30 minutes of, without taking a call. What if it's Mark Waddles? I said, what yeah. if it is Mark? <laughs> I'll call him when I get in the car. <laughs> you know, who's more important here? Yeah, yeah. Well, well that's, that, that's like care. Yeah, that's like you you cared enough to give your time to those individuals, um, and they'll give it back. 
That's the thing. You know, they, they'll always give it back. But I don't think people will stay following leaders that they don't care about, that they don't they don't respect. Um, and uh, and I think it's really important. It's definitely been uh, it's been a big part of, of, of who I am as a leader, certainly for years. Well, I talk about this all the time. And, you know, Gallup has been doing the survey for 50 plus years. And the top 10 are always the top 10. It's just interesting, no, no matter what, no matter what generation, you know, people want to feel valued and respected. Yeah, yeah they do. Sure. And then they want somebody, you know, they want to know that they're valued. And well, value is caring about people. And it's caring about them more than just the job that they do. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. So you, so you Ben, and you know, I was always taken back. And I think it's why we kind of, you know, bonded at Hollywood during that time because it was weird. Um, but I always knew you were a people first. I knew in that meeting when you when you understood we, let's can we start with a baseline of please and thank you of how we're gonna treat each other. <laughs> yeah, for that, sure. That you were a people first and obviously the culture that you built at Game Crazy and obviously the, the career that you've had. But has your philosophy about leadership changed? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the world has changed. Right. And I've learned, uh, you know, I, I look back on myself 20 years ago and think, oh, my Lord, I could have been so much better. <laughs> um, so but, you know, look, that's wisdom. Are, that's wisdom. Yeah, that's wisdom. I, I'm not a young man anymore. I've learned a lot along the way. Um, and yeah, certainly I, I think I've evolved and I think I've evolved in 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 a couple of ways. Um, I think it starts with with how I think about ownership today that I don't think I, I really was able to put into thought and writing, you know, 20 years ago um, and what it really means to be an owner and both how to take ownership and also how to give ownership, um, which I think is the hardest for leaders, especially new leaders, right, is how to let go um, and give someone else ownership to be able to say, you've got this, right? Those are really hard words, I think, for a lot of leaders to say, because you are now passing on ownership to somebody else and they could screw it up. Right. And that's scary. Um, but if you really want to be a great leader, you have to be willing to do that. And I, I would say 20 years ago, I, I, I wasn't good at that. Um, in fact, I was you know, I was into the, the minutia of every little detail because I thought that's what I needed to do. And I've learned I've learned to sort of step away at times and say, look, we, have, we just play different roles. My role right, as a leader is vision and strategy and, and people. And your role is to accomplish this task. And I can't take ownership for that. You have to take ownership. So I think um, I, I think my my whole philosophy on ownership, I got to talk about that for hours, but I think my whole philosophy on ownership has changed over the years uh, and hopefully for the better. Um, two, I would say um, I, I, I've learned the importance of transparency and how to be transparent, um, even when it's an uncomfortable truth, uh, in a way that I couldn't have done 15 or 20 years ago. Um, you know, I think showing your vulnerability, you know, as a leader is actually a strength. And I don't know that I knew that or understood that earlier in my career as a leader. Uh, and I think I've really changed in that way. And I think the last one is, um, you know, I, I think as a leader, I, I see myself now, I can't remember where I read it, but I love the way it was in was was written, uh, some leader I've, I follow, I'm sure, talked about being a leader as a, as a conductor. Um, mm. You know, it's not your job to play first fiddle anymore. That's not your role. Your job is to keep everyone on time. Um, and in order to help, you know, the, the entire orchestra, right, harmonize in the right way, that's your job. 
it, it's not to play each instrument yourself. And, and so it kind of relates to all these things, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's, um, I like that idea as a leader, right? I, I like feeling that way as a leader. And I, and I think that's, that's changed it quite a bit as well. And so I think just how I think about leadership is changing. And obviously the world has changed, right? I, right. A lot. And that requires you to be a different leader today because, you know, I mean, we can talk about that, but, uh, um, yeah, a lot's changed. Well, the workforce has changed, right? I mean, yeah, the work, yeah, the, the the workforce has changed. I mean, COVID's changed a lot. Technology's changed a lot. You know, I work in a basically fully remote organization. Um, you know, we do have an office here in Seattle, um, but you know, I have employees in I think twenty seven states and seven countries. Um, you know, time zones are all the way from Japan, Poland, Armenia. You know. London, Montreal, you know, in, and here on the West Coast. And uh, you have to, you just have to manage differently when, you, and I think that's a big change in the world, especially in the tech world is it's a global economy. It's a global uh, consumer. Um, and it requires you to just lead in a different way, right? And right. how you think about things. Um, I think COVID changed a lot. Um, I think it proved to the world that you can work from home um, and you can work remote. Um, certainly I still love seeing people face to face, but I don't, I think, I don't think that's ever going to get, uh, stuff back in the bag again. Um, I think the only thing that's forcing a lot of large companies now to go back to the office is old school thinking. Um, and I believe 10 or 15 years from now, as, as a younger generation steps into larger and larger leadership roles, that that will reverse itself again. Um, because, because it's proven that people can do it and it's better for work-life balance. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting about, oh gosh, 10 years ago, Richard Branson predicted this. And he said, uh, in fact, I'm going to Google it to find the, uh, the, actual, the actual blog that he posted, but he talked about the end of the office. Yeah. And this was like 15 years ago. And if, if he did, he was smarter than the rest of us, that's for sure, because I didn't see it coming and I didn't think it would work. Really? You know, I've, you know, look, I spent my entire career, 30 some odd years uh, working in offices. And, and you know, when you're a people first leader, a lot of that means you got to connect, right? You got to interact and, and you got to spend time with people and you read body language and, and you, you, you know, talk to people in the cafeteria and, you know, all these types of things. So when, you know, when we went home, I was at Amazon and, and I was terrified that things were just going to fall apart. I, I, I won't lie to you. Um, and not only did I find it didn't fall apart, but I found, you know, we were able to be extremely efficient. Um, and I actually found I really enjoyed it. I, I love the opportunity to not spend hours in a car commuting um, and um, and uh, being close to the family and, you know, all those types of things. And and uh, it, it's just worked. And like I said, it won't work for every company. It depends on what your business is. But, you know, as more and more businesses, as they get larger, um, and they go global and your consumer is global and your employee base is global. I don't see any way around it. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, it, it allows people to, you know, get out of these, you know, let's be honest, Seattle is a very high cost of living, just like San Francisco because they're big tech hubs. Um, we shouldn't have to just, uh, people shouldn't have to live where it's so expensive to live and still work for great companies. Um, and so I think it just opens up those opportunities to more people. It's interesting. I, 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 it's going to be fascinating to see what happens, um, you know, long term. And oh, sure. it, it's going to be really, really interesting because um, 
I was just talking to a broker today and he said, you know, we're seeing an uptick in interest in office space again. And I'm like, yeah, I think there, you know, some of it. It's also interesting. I, I was actually a guest on a podcast yesterday and we got into this conversation. And I asked the question about, you know, what about the responsibility to our cities and our communities? Mm -hmm. because here, at least in Portland, you know, the downtown core that used to be bustling, it was the Silicon Forest, is no longer that. Now, some of that's policy, some of that's just the offices, you know, the workers have left. But what about all those small, you know, coffee shops and those in the in the in the uh, yeah. you know, retailers and the and the restaurant places that just thrive because of you know the x amount of people who would come into the city every day and yeah. with everybody working and, and you see it like you see it in Beaverton yeah. you see it in Lake Oswego they're flourishing because people are working from home in Lake Oswego but they still want to go to lunch. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think, uh, you know, first off, I would be careful to say a lot of it depends on what you do and the stage of the organization. Cause I would say, you know, early stage organizations, you know, the, the sort of brainstorming strategy. Spontaneity. Yeah. The spontaneity is really important to be face to face. I mean, we work fully remote, but I, you know, I should, I should be honest. My team also gets together uh, once a month for a week. Right, we, you know, it's, we, it's big fish, so everything has to have a, a fish theme. So we call it Reef Week. Um, <laughs> but but, uh, but we do have a Reef Week once a month. We get together four days here in Seattle, my entire leadership team, and um, and it's great. And you, we do need that, right? There are times where you just need to go to whiteboard and just brainstorm together and get creative. And it's also a good time for bonding and relationship building, those types of things. I think early stage companies need that up to a point, right? And I think the 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 more mature the business gets, the more diverse the business gets, then you start to you, you start to, to sort of peel away. What I was going to say is what I imagine happens is, um, you know, the downtown corridors that have existed, I think will always exist. I think it'll be more not Amazon owning, you know, the entire downtown Seattle, but a lot of small businesses, you know, startup incubators and those types of things. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think you'll see small businesses moving out into the communities themselves, like you were saying in Lake Oswego or Beaverton or those types of places, the people are still there. They're just working in different places now. Yep. Um, and, and they still have the same needs for going out to lunch or services or whatever it is. And so I think it's just, you're, you're going to see a shift um, as people, which I think is kind of pretty cool really is, is to see communities grow um, close to home, right? Where there's more services and opportunity, you know, within the communities as opposed to you have to go downtown. Well, the, the, the host of the, sh- the podcast I was on said, you know, Tim, it's interesting. She, she mentioned a book and I don't remember it, but it will be in the, the, the show notes. But she said, um, you know, our core, our cities used to be founded on the church, Year, you know, yeah. 100 years ago. And that the church was the center of the, of, the, of the city. And then that went away and it became businesses and, and cities became dependent on businesses, which is interesting. Because yeah. they're for profit, so they have obviously they have a you know an agenda, and so should we reimagine the way that our cities are? And maybe it is residential, maybe it is more you know community events or community activities. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's going to be very 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 interesting because a lot of cities couldn't survive, and you know the workers all come in, they work, and then they leave. Right. And so having that, so I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting discussion. And, um, you, you know, our, um, I work for uh, uh, the Technology Association of Oregon. And we're fully remote. Uh, we don't have a physical space. We are we are fully remote. Uh, 
And um, we use like a, a you know, a, a work share uh, and, and I get my team together once a week um, just to get together, go through, talk about things. And then, and sure. then we're, we're remote because we can, because everybody's in Portland. Um, you'll laugh, you'll laugh about this. You know what I call my Monday morning meeting? Uh, I don't know. Target. <laughs> Boy, that brings that brings me back for sure. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Twenty years later, I'm still you. Yeah, I'm a creative fella. <laughs> so, so Larry, you talked about your team. You got your team. You bring your executive team together. You're no like like if I ask somebody about Larry Plotnick, they're going to say you're great at building teams, high performing teams. How do you do that? What what is it? What's your sauce? Oh, What's your secret sauce? Say can I say luck again? No, uh, you know, no, there's, there's a recipe and I do believe in a recipe and, and I would say, you know, um, one is you have to have a great vision, right? And I think that's the job of great leaders is you have to be able to articulate it and everyone has to be able to understand it so they can buy into it. Um, because you can't, you can't have a high performing team if people are rowing in different directions. Um, and so I, I think it's extraordinarily important that there is a clear vision that people understand the, the uh the 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 point you're at today the point you want to get to and what the strategy is to get from point a to point b um and i think that's just critical i think second as i mentioned earlier i think you have to hire good people but that doesn't mean hire great people um it doesn't mean you don't want to find great people but i'd rather good over great if if good fits within the culture and i, I believe hiring for your culture is extremely important and so finding that right mix of the right skill set the right talents the right quality but also the right cultural fit within an organization because, and, and Tim, you know, you've seen this, um, one bad apple, right? That does, it's not even that they're a bad person, right? They just don't fit in the culture, can completely destroy a culture of an organization. I mean, absolutely completely destroy. But I'm going to give you an example of that real quick, if you don't mind. Oh, please. And I will, you'll remember this. So I'm going to name a name, uh, and yeah. I hope that's okay, because yeah. one of my favorite humans is a guy by the name of Scott Schultz, who you know. Yeah. I, I worked for Scott Schultz. I didn't want to admit how old I am, but over 30 years ago at uh, the limited stores. That's how I actually came to Hollywood Video. Scott asked me to, to join him at Hollywood Video. He had taken a job there. Scott was my early stage mentor um, and a great coach. He was a perfect cultural fit in my experience in, in you know eight years at the limited. Um, and he, he was, I loved working with Scott. I came to Hollywood in Portland and went to, and came to work. I don't think Scott Scott left shortly thereafter. If I remember correctly, he was a horrible cultural fit at, at Hollywood. It didn't last very long. Is, is is my recollection? Is that is that yours as well? That is mine as well. You know, and, and so here you have someone who I believe was incredibly talented. Um, a, he was a great mentor and coach, um, not just to me but to countless others. I could tell you the names of uh, at least six other people I knew who worked for Scott in the early stages when I was there that all became presidents and CEOs of other companies. I mean, he knew how to grow talent, but he was, he was not a cultural fit at, at Hollywood. And so you have to have both, right? You have to have great talent. You have to have good cultural fit. I think that's a, an important part of the recipe. Um, and then third, kind of attached to that, obviously you have to, you, you've got to hire people in the culture. You have to create a great culture and you have to live it every day. Um, and sometimes that's not easy, right? Um, but if you say you're, you're, you have a culture of ownership, which I believe in, that means you have to be willing to give up ownership all the time, right? To other people and say, you've got this, you own it, and I trust you. Um, and so you have to live that culture all the time or the culture falls apart. Uh, and I think that's really important. Um, and then I'd say, you know, you gotta be accountable to each other, right? Um, at myself as a leader, I'm accountable to my team, to my customers, to the business. Um, and I think 
everyone on the team has to have that same mentality and that same accountability um, to, to one another and to their customers and everything else. And I think that's a big part of it. And then I guess the last piece is you got to have fun. Um, you know, I, I can't take myself too seriously, especially these days. I make games for a living um, and I play a lot of video games. I'm not going to lie. Um, you have to have fun, right? I do something fun for a living I, and I should enjoy that. And I think it doesn't matter what you do. You got to bring some fun into the process. I think we used to have a ton of fun back in the day at Hollywood Video and Game Crazy. You know, we, were, we ran an entertainment business, right? We watched movies and played video games and you know, we used to have Halo Nights with the Game Crazy team and, 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 and just crazy stuff. And I think all those are, are, are just an incredible part of building that high-performing team. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think those are the key components. I'm trying to think I, miss, I feel like I missed something in my recipe there. Uh, oh, I did. Big, hairy goals. Yeah. That's the other piece to building high, great-performing teams. Um, you got to push yourself and the team to achieve things that they don't think they can actually achieve. Um and, and be okay with failure. Um, you know, it's something I learned a lot about in my time at Amazon, uh, which I really loved about it, which is, you know, the idea of these sort of big, hairy goals. You know, it, it, when you'd sit down with a Jeff Bezos, you talk about, hey, I got a new concept. You want to build a business. His first question is, can it be a billion dollar business? Right. And that's a tough question to answer. A billion. That's, you know, 99.9% .9 of the companies in the world would, would, would think that's like a crazy, hairy you know, goal to yeah. achieve. And yet that's the way Jeff thought about everything. And, and his, his point in that was, you know, why get into it if, if, if at least didn't have the opportunity? It doesn't mean every business has to hit that, but why not shoot for that, right? How, you know, how do we create businesses that can reach that many customers that have the right business model, all these types of things? And it really stretched our thinking, right, uh, um, as leaders within that organization to think really big, really creative and shoot for the moon, right, uh, on a regular basis. And so, um, and I think that's part of the fun. I think it's exciting to, to go into a business and say, how can I turn it from, you know, this small thing into something massive? Can I think creatively enough? Can we think outside the box enough? Can we brainstorm enough crazy ideas? Um, and I think that adds to the fun. Well, you know, I, I think another part of that recipe is, um, you know, energy. I mean, just, oh, listen, sure. just listening to you talk about it, you know, because people want to follow people who are exciting. People yeah. want to follow people who, you know, and, and you were always so good at, at um, sharing the vision and getting people excited about where you want it. Because, you know, if you think the word lead, well, where are you leading me to? Where, yeah, where are you exactly. taking me? Where are you taking me? And, uh, you know, you were always great at explaining that. A, a real quick, uh, since you brought him up, Scott Schultz story. When he first started with, um, with Hollywood, uh, Mark brought all the zone vice presidents, all the regionals into, a, a, and it was at the old Sweetbriar. And we went upstairs to that conference room and he introduces Scott and, and we have the entire regional, uh, regional managers, zone vice president team. So there's probably 27 people around the um, around the um, uh, around the table, and Scott Schultz is sitting at the head. Mark is next to him to his left. Roger's there. Everybody's there. Sure. And Scott starts reciting the book of uh, of um, General uh, uh, oh, what, what, uh, the Art of War. Oh God, yeah. I think I've heard this story. It's horrible. And he and he tells the story about the when the 
the the emperor went to his general and said, "Make my uh, make my concubines march," and I, I'll I won't tell the whole story, <laughs> but make my concubines march, and then you know it ends with him killing a bunch of concubines, and and everybody's face was just like I can only imagine, yeah. And then Scott goes, "I had the IT department look at your member notes," and he had a he had a notepad. And uh, he goes, I had them run all the member notes of your stores that you all operate. And let me give you a sampling. This mofo biatch is, <laughs> and he starts reading these horrible comments because we had $9 an hour employees who had free reign to put whatever they wanted yeah, into yeah. these member notes. And, and Scott didn't understand the business, right? And yeah, so, yeah. and the look on Mark's face was like, you, you, I've never seen buyer's remorse because to your point, it was, it, it wasn't that it was bad, it, that he was bad. It was an alignment issue. Yeah. And then yeah. I think the regionals left, the zones were in there and we were, it was the time we were talking about the, the, the Hollywood retreat and, um, and Scott didn't want to do it anymore. And Scott said, well, I think the only way we should do it is high performing store managers. Let's set a criteria. And if they hit a go, then they're invited. And we're not just inviting everybody. Not you, right. you invite your low performing man. We invite everybody. And Mark looks at him and goes, you've never been to one. You don't get to vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And that it just, you know, again, Scott was smart. He understood the business. I think he, uh, uh, him and I got into it because he didn't believe that my zone had that many customer compliments. And he thought I was going out and giving free movies and he was going to try to catch me because he thought I was giving free <laughs> movies. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. We just, it's, it is a, it is a metric that we measure um, because we are trying to create, you know, wow experiences within these stores. And right. um, you know, this is how we do it. And yeah, I talk a lot about it and I encourage people to do it, but we're not giving away free video or, you know, free rentals for it. And, um, and so then he hired somebody to go through them and start picking them apart. It's actually how I met my wife. Um, she was one of the people and she had to call me to tell me that she wasn't going to accept 20 of my um, customer compliments because they thought they were manufactured. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and I, I just went off the deep end, um, you know, because that was something that we were doing. And here was the thing. If the numbers were in the shitter, okay, fine. Maybe, maybe we are. But the numbers match the compliments, right? We had some, right. we had fifty of the, of the of the top fifty highest volume stores. We had forty nine of them. Ithaca, New York, was the only one that was in the top three, other than stores that were in the Pacific Northwest. Of course, it was our home. It's the way it went, and those stores yeah. performed. So our revenue matched the, the the service levels we were giving. But whatever. Um, so that was mine. I, I can I, I don't share your uh, admiration, but I respect him uh, greatly for the career that he built and the companies that he worked for. Yeah, but it's a, it's just a great example. Like like I said, I knew him on, in, in a very different culture um, under Les Rexner at, at the Limited, and he was wildly successful, wildly right. praised, uh, wildly respected. And I got it right away at Hollywood that he wasn't. And I think it's a shame. Like I said, I, I like Scott a ton. Um, but I also understood he was a fish out of water at Hollywood. And, and, and again, it's, you know, we're talking about leadership lessons here and how to be, you know, uh, and, and what it means to be, uh, you know, people first, you know, that Scott was not a people first leader. I, I think I could say, I hope I wouldn't offend him if you heard this. Um, he was an incredibly data driven leader. 
um, and, um, and and an operational leader like like none other I've ever seen. But that wasn't the culture of that business. And, and so, as I said before, great people in the wrong culture, not, not, not a great fit. You know what I always say, Larry? I always say hire for alignment and train for skill. Yeah, yeah. You know, I look for that alignment. I try when my interviews, I try to like, I, I, I don't know. You know, I've been doing it for so long now. I get it. I, I usually make my decision in the first 10 minutes. The other 50 <laughs> minutes is because they wore a tie. You right. <laughs> now you feel bad. Yeah, yeah. I got it. You know, I got to respect them. <laughs> um, so I, I give them, but I usually make up my mind. I know I, I, I get a feeling right. And if they're if they're aligned and then once they're aligned, you can start going down rabbit trails and, and they follow you because you're aligned with them. Yeah. If they yeah. don't follow you, they, they're very uncomfortable, I, I, you know, especially with I, I think you and I are very similar in the fact that we a lot of energy and a lot of passion into what we do and we truly do care about the people who work for us yeah yeah i think it's so important totally and, agree right i mean i just think that's what we do we leave it all on the field and um we we just do and i, I remember touring stories with you it was just like you were a machine and and you know the other thing that i i'm going to give you a compliment and i i don't know if, if you listen I don't to this podcast, handle all this but okay if i if you listen to this podcast i give i shower my guests with praise because i i, <laughs> I feel very fortunate that i that i have a network as strong as i do or with so many dynamic people that i can actually talk about you know you and others in in this way that i had this opportunity to work with somebody like you but um you knew the store inside and out so yes you're people first yes you would go in there but man if something wasn't right you would know it like you studied the schematics you knew that what what needed to be done and why they were that way and you would go into a store and you would obviously do it with such grace and and, and in such a fun way um that people would learn right and they would learn the importance of why it was important we were doing we were asking them to do whatever it was i remember i don't remember i don't remember the time or why we were doing it, but we were over at the Wilsonville store and there was some signage was wrong and I didn't know it. And you knew it immediately. Like, I think this isn't right. I don't think the sign is right. <laughs> no, that's, it's interesting. Cause you know, I'll share another story. It just came to mind. I haven't thought about this in a long time, but I think it's a, it's a good discussion about, you know, relative to everything we're talking about here about leadership and about being people first. I remember going to, um, while I was still on the game crazy side, I remember going out to Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and I can't remember, Tim, where you were at at that point. But I remember going, I, I flew out to Cleveland. I went to go visit some stores. Actually, no, that's not true. I went to Cleveland on personal business. My son was living there and I went to go visit him and I went to go see a couple of game crazy stores while I was there. I walked into a video store um, and I have never seen such a disaster in my entire life. Um, you know, like the 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 new release wall was completely empty, just stacks of DVD cases everywhere. It was like the biggest mess I've ever seen. And I, I you know, I I uh, pulled aside the store manager and and asked him what was going on, and you know, and didn't get good answers. And so I called the district manager and I called the regional VP and I said, look, you know, if you don't mind, if you can't get here, I'll happy to stay an extra day or two and help them. And uh, um, and so I told the store manager, I said, look, call your staff. I want you to bring everybody you can. If not, you don't have enough people in your store, call some local stores. Let's get us to, uh, 20 people here tomorrow. I will join you and we'll reset this store together so we know what right looks like. And I think everybody was shocked that I stayed 
Um, and I spent, you know, 14 hours the next day with my sleeves rolled up, um, yeah. you know, uh, just just resetting the whole store from start from start to finish with with, with a large group of people. And, um, you know, I, I guess I didn't really think that much of it at the time because I just thought it was the right thing to do. One was to call it out. Two was to help them fix it. But it was afterwards when the regional VP got there and I don't remember who it was um, at the time, but um, um you know, j just the appreciation for not, you know, boy, this is a disaster, fix it, and I'll come back in a week, right? It was more of, look, I'm, maybe you don't know how to do it, so I'll do it with you. Um, and it's that sort of level of, uh, look, nothing's beneath you as a leader. Um, and the most important thing you can do if someone doesn't know how to get their job done is to help teach them how to get it done. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was one of those days. Actually, it was one of the funner days I ever had, I think, uh, in traveling stores was, being able to make that kind of impact on a large group of people. Um, and uh, it was fun. I'm racking my brain. I don't know. Well, I don't know what year it was. Cleveland, Ohio went through a lot of folks. Um, and I don't remember. I remember at one point I picked it up because I remember going up to Cleveland. Um, well, that was my experience when I went out to Virginia, when I was at what first promoted to zone vice president and I took the mid Atlantic. And my family had gotten there. We got there, you know, like on a Wednesday. I was going to start on Monday. The movers were coming on Friday. You know the the drill. Yeah, yeah. And um, we got into the car and said, "Well, let's go drive around. Let's go see the Manassas battlefields. Let's go look around." <laughs> and we found ourselves somewhere up in Maryland, and um, because we didn't know where we were going, and I saw a Hollywood video, and I said, "Oh, let's stop." And my wife's like, "No, let's not." And I said, "No, let's <laughs> let's stop." And I walked in, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, I, I was utterly aghast yeah, at, yeah. at the condition. And that I think that was actually on a Sunday. We were done kind of moving. And the Monday morning, I, I had my team and we were on a call and, and it was just, it was absolutely crazy to me. Uh, I was in it, you know, I, I got off that call and I was like, okay, I'm in a different world. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you know, and that's, I think that happens the farther away. Cause I, what I saw, because, you know, I started in Portland, I started with this as an assistant manager. I was promoted to store manager. I ran the stadium store and, uh, well, I ran the Beaverton store. Then I ran the stadium store. Then I was a district manager. I was the first district manager at Hollywood that didn't have store responsibilities. I remember Mark Waddle saying, well, what the hell is he going to do all day? <laughs> because like Kevin Haslin was our buyer, but he also ran a store. So everybody right. had jobs, but you also ran a store. And they were like, well, what the hell is he going to do all day? And, you know, to think that we had over 300 at, the, at, some, at one point or when I left and 29, yeah. 29 regional managers and five zone vice presidents and, right, right. you know, the bunch who, who didn't manage stores. But um the farther away from Portland that we got, the, the harder it was. Yeah, it just is. And it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? You see something like that. How much do you really respect uh, the, uh, your customers, right? That you don't want them to have that experience. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and how much are you willing to invest in the team to show them what right looks like? And, and I think that's really important. Um, and, uh, you know, I know you've, I'm sure you experienced it lots of times, a lot more than I did. Um, but, you know, it, it, you could sit there and say, you know, what the hell's going on here and yell and scream at people and tell them to fix it. Um, and that usually doesn't do a lot of good. Um, or you can say, hey, you know, this isn't the face we want for customers. This is not the experience we want. Let me help you. Um, and I think that's a very 
you know, a very powerful um, approach as a leader is to be willing to uh, put that time and effort um, into a single store when you have a, a chain of you know multiple thousands. And it's the same thing in a in a tech organization. Like I don't have physical stores anymore. Um, you know, I, I run a business. We have you know millions of customers around the world. And yet, when I get a customer who reaches out to me. Uh, I don't ever ignore any customer. I get emails every once in a while from customers and they're, hey, I have a thing broken and I follow through till the end. So I can reach back out to that customer and say, hey, I fixed it for you. Um, and I think that's, you know, I don't want to just turn it over to somebody else to take care of it. And, and I learned through the process about why did something break down? Um, you know, why wasn't it fixed? How do we fix it? And therefore, how do we make sure it doesn't happen to more customers in the future? And uh, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good um, that comes from, you know, being at that level of uh, detail. Well, I think, you know, like I, I'm 59 years old and I'm very proud of the fact that I've never had a job because I do what work is my hobby. I do what I love and I genuinely love working. I can tell you that the 14 years that I spent at Hollywood Video, I don't I don't know. I can't remember if it day being a job or ever it ever feeling like a job. I, you know, I used to pinch myself. I'd go into video stores with televisions and monitors and, you know, <laughs> go to movie premieres and and be given screeners and, and, you know, was able to buy my kids an Xbox 360 before they hit the street. Um, you know, we had all those. those we had yeah, that. we yeah. had that kind of cool privilege. I had a movie theater in my house in Virginia, and, and you know, that looks like a Hollywood video store. And, that's so awesome. Uh, yeah, because you know, because that's what I did. That's what that's what I loved, uh, and my work was. And you know, I experienced that, and I think I was very fortunate to experience that. And then I said to myself, "Look, that's I'm going to do that the rest of my life. I'm going to do what I love, because I spend too much time at work, and and because of that, I, I feel like I'm super passionate, and I give a lot to it." Yeah, but you also recognize, I imagine, Tim, when it started to become a job. I know it did for me. Oh, uh, you know, after we were acquired. Um, and, uh, it reached a point where I stopped being passionate and loving it and started dreading it. And it, then it suddenly became a, I'm getting a paycheck. I don't want to be here anymore. Yep. Um, and I think you went through the same thing. Uh, I think you left maybe a year after I did, um, you reach a point where you're like, this is not the thing I signed up for. It's I'm not, I don't believe in the culture or I'm not passionate about what we do, but whatever it is, you know, it, it can leave you. And I agree with you. Look, at the end of the day, <clears throat> you should love what you're doing. Um, uh, or it's time to move on and find something you do love. Life's too short. Well, it happened to me as I, you know, Bria, my assistant would call me and say, you can't sit in your car all day because in the, <laughs> in the morning I'd sit and listen to Howard Stern and <laughs> she'd say, you've got to come in the building. And I'd be like, yeah, I know. And, you know, and, and, and people who are close to this know that, that with the difficulty that we went through and there again, there was two companies that had completely different um, uh, uh, personalities, completely different cultures, and yeah. they tried to blend them. And, you know, it was as bad as AOL and, and Time Warner. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work sometimes. And again, I'm not saying it was wrong for Movie Gallery or right for us. It was just different. I, I think you're, you're at the same place and it just didn't mesh. No. Um, and I and, and I didn't see myself fitting into the culture it was becoming, and I, I think a lot of us unfortunately did. But uh, um, well, well, plus I didn't know. have two first names, so it was very difficult to work. With. <laughs> that, that's a fair statement. Fair statement. <laughs> you had to have two first names. Gosh, that really takes me back. That's some funny stuff there, Tim. Yeah. Like <laughs> and those those on the inside will get that one a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so you have worked for amazing companies, the limited, Amazon. I mean, 
how many people am I going to have on this podcast who, you know, have, have taken meetings with Jeff Bezos? Um, so you've, you've worked for amazing companies and now Big Fish and, and Big Fish is doing some cool stuff out there. Um, what are you most proud of? Um, well, you know, my most proud of is raising eight kids and uh, we also like each other. So let's start with that. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think, you know, this Tim, you know, I've, I've been a foster parent and an adoptive parent and I have, I do have eight amazing kids and I, I, I adore them. And, and I'm really proud of that. And I'm also really proud of my youngest is uh, special needs. She has down syndrome. She's an amazing young lady. Um, and I've gotten very, very involved in special needs here in Seattle, um, special Olympics and, and those types of things. And I'm really proud of the work I've done there. Um, in terms of work, work, um, you know, I'd say a couple things. What am I most proud of? It's hard to pick one. I'm going to say two. Um, one is just the explosive growth of Game Crazy and being a part of that and building that culture and that business. Um, that might have been the most fun I've ever had in my career. Um, you know, we, we were very lucky to have both. We were, had the right timing. You know, the video game industry was just taken off. We had all that real estate available to us to Hollywood video stores so we could grow really fast. Um, and we had a business that believed in it that was willing to fund it. And so, you know, you remember that period. I mean, we opened up about yeah. 600 stores in two years. I mean, it was complete insanity. Um, and, uh, and it was so much fun. Uh, and I'm really proud of the culture that we built and, and, and that business and, and the team that we had. And, and the way we were able to make, even though they were different cultures, the Game Crazy side, the Hollywood video side, but how well they worked together in most cases, I would say. It wasn't always perfect. But I would say in most cases with very different sort of uh, feel to it, uh, it was a, it was a great experience. And so I, I love that part of my life. I would say the second one it, it, it was my experience at Amazon. You know, at Amazon, I, I had the opportunity on multiple occasions to start with a blank piece of paper um, and put together a, a brand new concept that no one's ever thought of before and, and pitch it to Bezos and the um, and the and the executive team at Amazon and and work with them and then you know take that blank piece of paper um, to you know building massive teams and as I said you know the the games team from the time I started uh, seven or eight people to several thousand people when I left um, you know is something I'm extremely extremely proud of um, you know Prime Gaming was the last thing I built there that was an idea I had that a lot of people thought was crazy uh, Bezos liked it luckily. Um, and, um, and let me build a small team. I think we had 11 when we start, when I, when I, uh, when I launched it. Um, and when I left, it was a billion dollar value business. It was, you know, uh, hundreds of people in the organization and extremely successful. And so, and that came from an, an idea out of my brain and, and put it on a piece of paper. And, and I'm, I'm really proud of what we did there. Um, so I, I think, you know, different experiences, but I, I guess those would be the ones I'd, I'd share. Yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody, uh, well, uh, Dusty. You you remember Dusty? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and Dusty looked at me and he said, "Tim, did we take Hollywood for granted? Because <laughs> I, I, I haven't found that yet. Again, I yeah. said, oh, you probably you, you probably won't. You probably won't ever find it again. Those things are very. I tell my teams all the time. There was a, when I was chief operating officer at Metal Toad, a software development company here in Portland. We. Um, I remember we we were just at the point it, we were we were at our peak performance. We were fully aligned as a team. We were working, and and I told the team I said enjoy this because you know change is inevitable. Yeah, yeah. One of us will leave. Something will happen. The business will change. And and really, when you get those special moments in your career, just enjoy them. And it sounds yeah. like the time that you spent at Amazon, you did. 
Yeah, I did. And I, I think hopefully I left at the right time. I think I'd reached that point. But, um, you know, we talked about earlier, do what you love. And when you stop loving it, go do something else. And, and uh, I think that's, you know, important career advice. It's not always about how do I get the next title or the next whatever. It, it's do something you're passionate about. And I, I think people will grow their careers by doing things they're passionate about. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate to have had uh, a lot of really good opportunities I've been able to take advantage of. But, uh, yeah, it's been a been a fun career to look back on so eight eight kids i'm trying to remember because i remember when you fostered like the first three maybe it was two yeah i think when i was at hollywood before i left i was i was uh in the adoption process with with two children now um 20 and 22 years old oh my I, lord Lauren and jeremy um and, and then you've got I, their little sister, right? And then, yeah, shortly after I left, uh, uh, I got their little sister, um, Juliana, who's now 19 years old. She's oh. an amazing, amazing, wonderful young lady. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I, I got uh, remarried and, and uh, adopted uh, uh, my, my daughter, Alina, who's uh, uh, 16 years old now, and, and my stepson, Cyrus. I hate to call stepson adoptive. They're all my kids. They're I adore kids. them all. I love them uh, incredibly. The family just keeps growing and um and uh yeah and we have a lot of fun my lord that that's amazing well you know and that always spoke volumes i think um i always admired you i mean i have five children and um uh one of them is my stepdaughter i don't even i mean i don't even she's my daughter like uh um, yeah. right like i don't i i feel exactly the same way you do and if, in technical terms yes um but I, I just, uh, it is my proudest thing is my family, my kids. And, you know, they're all doing great. Of course, I have a grandson now and, um, which is <laughs> the best. Um, I'm still I, waiting. I'm hoping soon. I'm ready. <laughs> I think kids are great, but you know, the, the nice thing about grandchildren is you get to leave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you get to be there, but you get to leave. And, uh, you know, as a parent, you never get to leave, but that, that's really wonderful. I, I, the family side of it, I think we always, we always bonded over the kids, uh, oh, yeah. over it's, our it's, love it's, of kids. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah I, I remembered you had a big family. I didn't remember as five. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and they're like, like Jolene, I mean, my son is 32. Jeffrey just in May turned 32. He's getting ready to get married. Uh, my, my oldest Jolene is living in Seattle. She actually lives in Linwood. Um, oh, it's close to me. Yeah. yeah. She's doing great. And, uh, just, she's, you know, she went to Cornish up there. So she got her degree in, in oh, that's fine great. arts and then she, you know, met the love of her life and, uh, and they're married and they've, they've given us a wonderful, our, our little E Ethan, our grandson. And then um, Alex, Alex is uh, is just, you know, he was always my, he was kind of our middle child forever. And as you know, I went through a divorce and then got remarried. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I remarried, it's, you know, they, uh, Misty wanted a, a baby. And so uh, she wanted two, but I negotiated it down to one. Just, <laughs> You're a good negotiator, yeah. I just couldn't see myself with six. <laughs> and um, uh, so that's where Lucas came. So I have a 16 year old and just getting ready to be a junior in high school you wouldn't larry you would laugh your ass off 
if you met him, he's 6'2", he's 16 years old, uh, weighs 130 pounds, and uh, plays football, very athletic. And, oh, that's fantastic. He towers ever dead, huh? Oh, the complete opposite of me. I yeah, mean, yeah. Just the complete opposite. But I love him to death. He's a, he's a super creative, hardworking kid. And, um, you know, he's just really found his place. And he got my father. My father was 6'4", so he got the genes from my father's side. But he... Um, he certainly got the winner personality and he's able to uh, he's able to build relationships. It's really quite amazing to watch the relationships that he has with his teachers at school. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I, kids are great. So so you've worked with Titans, but who's a leader you admire today? Like who's out there in the. Oh, God, that's tough. You know, first off, I say a lot of leaders right now are getting dragged through the mud. So it's kind of hard to say a name. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, but there are some great leaders out there. I, I'll give you two, um, and one's pretty obvious, and that's the leaders I work with at Amazon. In fact, I'll combine them, which is Jeff Bezos and Andy Jassy. I worked, you know, I worked under Jeff, and when Jeff decided to step away, I, you know, I'd worked directly for Andy for quite some time. I know Andy very well. So much respect for him. Both of them, different, incredibly intelligent people, uh, incredibly aware. Um, and although it's not a people first organization and they don't run a people first culture, it is a very strong culture. Um, and it really emphasizes customers and, you know, taking risk and productive debate and ownership and all these components. And it is consistent across, you know, you have to remember Amazon is, you know, a million employees. And yet what I saw throughout that organization was the consistency of that culture throughout. And so maybe not the perfect culture for me as a person, but it was, it was a consistent uh, culture. And I love that about it. And I love their risk-taking mentality uh, and the way they approach a lot of things in business. I don't want to talk about things outside of that because sure. you know there's there's other things. Um, but I think as business leaders, just have so much respect for both of them. Um, the other one I would say is uh, is, uh, is Sundar from, 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 uh, from Google. Um, Sundar uh, Puchai, uh, who I think... Um, uh, <laughs> Just so incredibly smart. I mean, here's an individual, in my opinion, incredibly high IQ and incredibly high EQ. And I think that's very rare for uh, tech CEOs um, in a very interesting way. Um, you know, they tend to be, you know, I would say Andy and Jeff are very high IQ. I'm not so sure about the EQ side of it. I'm not to say bad things about them. Hopefully they don't hear this. Um, but I think uh, everything I've read about him, I've, I've listened to speeches he's done. Um, you know, his focus on where his focus internally around, you know, wanting failure, right? He talks about wearing failure as a badge of honor. I've heard him multiple times talk about this. You know, you're talking about a guy who, you know, created the, the Google browser and the Chrome operating system and the Android operating system, like stuff that a billion people use every day. And yet his said, he doesn't come across as someone with high entitlement, but he comes across as somebody who um, respects and cares about the people around him um, and gives them the opportunity to invent. Um, just as he was given that opportunity. And so I, I respect that uh, tremendously. And then I, I, I don't have a name, but what I will say is, you know, the other leaders I admire, because there's too many of them, is, um, is you know, there are so many leaders today in startups um, in an in a environment where startups are hard, uh, really hard. Um, you know, the number of companies that have started during COVID with a tough economic time with financing being very difficult and VC money drying up and, you know, can't go to the office. And yet there are just entrepreneurs that are so excited and passionate about their ideas. I've met many of them and 
you got to give them so much credit, right? And, and, I, and I give them so many kudos to think that they are so passionate about their ideas and their business models um, and their creativity and they're willing to bet on themselves. Uh, and I give them all the kudos in the world. I, I, I don't know that I could do that in this environment. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm that big of a risk taker. Right. Uh, and so I give them just so much credit uh, for everything that they're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, quite frankly, I, maybe it, sometimes I wish I could do what they did. But, uh, but um, you know, kudos to them. Yeah, I, 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 I share your sentiment. And, you know, I am a, I'm a professional manager. Uh, and I think I realized that about myself a, a while back. Like, I'm not a starter. Uh, I'm way too risk adverse. Uh, I'll tell you all the reasons why it won't work. Um, mm -hmm. But put me into an organization and, you know, I'm, I, I, I sometimes call myself a professional number two. Um, because I'm, I, I hold that space pretty well. And that's what I like to do. That's an important role. And every entrepreneur needs that, right? right? Because they want to be heads in the cloud, you know, and they need somebody to kind of ground them on occasion. And I think it's really critically important, but uh, it's a unique skill set um, that I think I had at a point and I'm not so sure I have it right now. Uh, I, I'd rather do what I do. So, well, you know, you have obviously you're, you know, brilliantly smart and have done amazing things for amazing companies and, and have a great track record of success. With that, what would you tell? So a new executive comes to you or from a company and says, Larry, or they hear this podcast and you get an email and they give me some advice. What would you give? What advice would you give to a new executive? Um, oh, boy. I, I think a few pointers, I would say. One is, you know, I, I don't remember. I'm sure you, you remember. It's Franklin Covey. Um, oh, sure. Uh, you know, and I, I still go back to the Big Rocks conversation yeah. often. Um, and I think it's something leaders have to do is, you know, focus on the big rocks. I, I tell people all the time, you got to prioritize. I still carry around, I've done it for 20 some odd years now, is a yellow notepad. And I write down on Monday morning, one of my top three priorities I must get done as a leader this week. And I read it every, you know, every hour, you know, constantly and make sure these are the most important things I must get done. And it's hard because as a leader, you get pulled in a million different directions. There's a hundred thousand things going on. But my role in this company is to take care of these priorities. And I think as, an, as a leader, you've got to get good with that um, because you're, you're, you're going to fail. You'll get, uh, you'll get drowned in the, in the minutia of details. Um, and so knowing how to prioritize your time and, and focus on the big things really matters. Um, two is, you know, and related to that, um, you, you got to play your role. Um, your role is not to be a super, you know, individual contributor. Your role is to be uh, you're a rock star, you know, technologist or any of those things that might have got you to a leadership role. But your role now is culture creator, people hire, you know, yeah. strategist. That's your role now. Um, and you better focus on that and do it really, really well. Let everybody else do everything else. That's your job is to hire people to do those things, not do it yourself. And I think a lot of first time leaders really struggle with that. Um, and, and I really counsel people to make that change quickly. Um, and then I'll, I'll share one more, which is. And I think I took this away from my time at uh, at Amazon. Quite frankly, is uh, is don't focus out every day on the outputs. Um, in other words, you know, and we did this at Hollywood a lot. You focus on the revenue numbers or your your year over year numbers. Those these those are outputs. Um, you know, your job as a leader, as an executive, is to focus on the things that people can control, which means the inputs. Um, and if you drive the right inputs and you measure the right inputs, 
you know, because the outputs can be caused by luck or they can be caused by macroeconomics things going on around you. You know, they can be caused by so many things you can get lost in it. They can be so manipulated. Can, they, they can be, yeah, manip it can be manipulated. Yeah. Exactly. You obviously manipulated some data, I heard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think the outputs can lie to you and you could think things are going really well because the outputs are good, but actually everything's broken underneath that and you're just getting lucky. And so I think as an executive in an organization, you have to manage and drive the inputs of the business and know what they are, right? And, and it could be a million different things. It could be the quality of the people you hire. It can be, um, you know, the speed at which your engineers are creating new content in, in video gaming uh, or the, the lack of quality errors, right, in, in a game that we launch or a million other things. But it's those inputs that if you have the right inputs, you focus on the right inputs and, they're, and you're delivering quality in them, it will turn into the right outputs. Um, and I just adamantly believe that. And I think, again, we get we get caught up in the stereotype or the 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 celebration of, hey, we had great revenue numbers. Right. Great. But how did you get there? Right. Can you repeat it again? Can you repeat it again next week, next month, next year? The inputs will allow you to do that. And um, and so I would always coach people to figure out the inputs of your business and then be my, you know, just just maniacal about focusing on those things and make sure they're right. Um, and I think if you do those things, you know, you're going to be most of the way there to, to, to success. Yeah. You know, I think that, and, and you're right. I mean, Amazon and, and Hollywood were complete opposites because everything was top line revenue. I mean, yeah. every yeah. Monday, all you looked at was, you know, your, your outputs, what, what, what were PV sales? What were this, sales? Yeah. what was that sale? And, uh, you know, I think again, to your point, there was some luck there, right? We, right time, right place. Uh, the the home video industry was exploding. People were, you know, the average store had two thousand transactions a week. People were coming in. It was happening. Um, yeah. I think if we would have looked at our inputs, uh, we probably would have adjusted some things and uh, and been better uh, positioned, like uh, Netflix was, to to pivot or to adapt. But instead, we died. Yeah. We died. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was that. I gotta be, looking back at my the biggest mistake we ever made, because I remember sitting in a conference room and talking about a, uh, you know, a streaming service and we vetoed it uh, as an organization. And uh, uh, Hollywood could have owned that space. Oh. So could have Blockbuster, quite frankly. And both both uh, rejected it um, and um, and became dinosaurs because of it. And I think that's incredibly unfortunate. That's what happens when you get fat, dumb and happy. Yeah, I remember yeah. when we wanted to invest in our POS, we wanted to invest in, and, you know, and, and at the time, you know, I'm not faulting Mark, but he was, uh, you know, he was serving Wall Street and they were yeah. rewarding him for how many stores we opened, not for having yeah. the best POS system. Um, yeah. They were rewarding him. And, and that's the problem when you go, you know, sometimes in the public market, you get rewarded for the wrong things. Um, yeah, absolutely true. And then you end up becoming, you know, a dinosaur, which is what, happened at Hollywood. Uh, I, I think if I look back on it, I think the missed opportunities where we had a chance to buy uh, HBO, which would have put us in the content category. I can't say that we would have produced the content that HBO ultimately ended up doing it, but it would have put us more into to content development. I also yeah. think we had an opportunity to buy uh, cinemas to get into Regal. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that we had an opportunity to really become a hub. I always saw it as it didn't really matter how it was delivered. We would be part of delivering it to you. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah. we never thought that way. We thought about physical stores, and we thought about getting them open, and we thought about stock price and outputs. Yeah, and you know, and like I said, I I can't discount that that wasn't the right thing at the time. I just think if you know, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback and look back on it. 
Um, but I think that if there was a mistake made, that was a mistake we made, right? We, we, uh, we missed an opportunity and, and that's unfortunate, but, um, but it was an incredible ride. It was an incredible company and, you know, met great people along the way and stay still in contact with a lot of them, just like, uh, Tim yourself. And, and so, you know, I can't look back on those days and I, with anything other than a big smile on my face. Me? Uh, amen. I, I look with all of the drama and all of the everything, um, I still was probably the highlight of my life. I met my the love of my life there. Um, we're still married today, still still going strong. And you know, I, I, I the friendships that I had come, that came out of Hollywood Video. Hollywood Video fundamentally changed my life, and yeah, or Hollywood Entertainment. So I have no qualms about it. That's fantastic. So, and my best friend in the world, uh, who this podcast is named after, I met him and had a 30 year relationship that I will cherish the rest of my life. Um, and I am so thankful. Uh, yeah, you know, you talk about alignment, and that's where it came down is Dave and I were aligned. Uh, yeah. Very different people, very, very, very different approaches, but we were aligned around the, the, the core, around the fundamentals. And that built a 30 year friendship. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I obviously never worked directly with Dave, unfortunately, because I was on the game crazy side when he was on the video side. And then he left when I joined the video side. Hopefully he wasn't causing me. Nope. Um, but, uh, but, you know, obviously I knew Dave well. And I actually reached out to him a few years after I left Hollywood um, for some help. Um, and, you know, I knew him, but I didn't know him as well as, as you did, certainly as most did. And yet he like dropped everything. He like called me back like 20 minutes later. He's like, you know, what do you need? Uh, and I was blown away. I'm like, well, I'm thinking about, you know, it was a business that we were, uh, that I was working out at the time, uh, a, a business plan that I thought he would have expertise in. And he did. Um, and, you know, he gave of himself uh, in a way that he didn't have to. Um, and I was, I was just blown away. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, uh, it was su such a horrid loss. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I respect your friendship with Dave as a great guy. And, um, you know, my memories of Dave are nothing but positive. So, um, I was glad I could be a part of this and, and to, uh, you know, to constantly, uh, you know, keep his memory going. Well, you know, it, it was his style of leadership. He was a people first leader. And, and when Dave passed, I, I, I said to myself, I, what am I going to do? And I want, I don't want it to happen where we don't. And so, you know, every day I say his name, I have, uh, I have my, what would Dave do coffee mug on my desk and I look down on it. And, um, you know, I think very, very fondly, uh, uh every day of, and, and, and really cherish the, the, the time that I did have with him and the things that we did get to do. I mean, he was the best man in my wedding. And, you know, so doing this and, and for him, and I, I think I told you this, I feel like I work with him every day. And uh, for me, that's very, very special. And, and then I get to have great conversations with people like you and, and Larry, I've taken way too much of your time, but you were fantastic. I'm so glad you were episode 10. It's a milestone episode. And, um, you know, everything I thought would happen happened and, and I just can't tell you thank you enough. And I, I appreciate, I know you're busy and you got your family and everything. And, and for you to take the time to sit down and talk with me and come into the studio, I really appreciate it. No, I, I thank you, Tim, for saying that. And I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing how much I was looking forward to doing this. It's brought back fantastic memories and made me think a lot about sort of you know, my career arc and, uh, and it's been a ton of fun. So thank you, Tim. I, 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 uh, I look forward to, you know, to future podcasts and, and continuing to listen in. Well, there will be more. So I appreciate it, my friend, and you have a great evening and, and thank you again. And, uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Don't be a stranger. All right. All right, buddy. You too. Take, Take care. care of yourself. Bye.